Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the life of David and me. My name is Jonathan Chan. I'm so glad that you can join me today as we continue our journey through the life of David and to see what we can learn from his life, mainly his mistakes, and how to apply them to us today. Before we begin, customarily, we start off with a video clip. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the clip, and we'll be right back. Sir, it's time for you to stop this unhealthy behavior. No, it's not. You need to take responsibility for your life. Not right now, I don't. And it starts by raising your son. I'm sorry. I literally have no idea what you're talking about. The young orphan you adopted at the gala, remember? Well, welcome back. The scene that I just showed you was from the movie called Lego Batman. And Alfred, his Bruce Wayne's butler, tells Bruce Wayne, who is in a Batman costume, that it's time for him to take on the role as a father for Dick Grayson, who he adopted. He cannot keep avoiding this role. Now, avoiding roles, avoiding responsibilities. Some of you may know a word that describes people who avoid their responsibilities. That word is shirker. Have you ever encountered a shirker? Or have you ever shirked your responsibilities as an employee? Have you shirked responsibilities as a friend, as a volunteer, as a parent, as a spouse, or as a church member? Today, as we continue our series on the life of David, we're going to look at the crisis between David and his second oldest son, Absalom. I'm going to argue that it was because David shirked his God-given responsibilities that this crisis happened. We will look at what were his God-given responsibilities, how he shirked away from them, what possible reasons why he shirked, and what can we learn about our God-given responsibilities. Let's begin. Starting off, with chapter 13, verse 21. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he too hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. What happened that made David very, very angry? Amnon, his oldest son, raped his half-sister Tamar, who was Absalom's sister. In other words, a family crisis, which, unfortunately, the prophet Nathan predicted after David was caught in his own sin with Bathsheba in chapter 11. But did David do anything about it other than saying to himself, me, David, very angry? Nope. Instead of stepping in, instead of intervening and facing the crisis, we just have David being very angry while Absalom is left fuming and boiling for justice at his half-brother for apparently two years. Most of us know that the best time to at least address and acknowledge the crisis is right away. Not necessarily to find a solution right away, but at least let all the parties know and the parties that are involved, who are involved, know that the one who is in authority, the one who has the role as a leader, is aware of the problem. That we are aware of the problem. 
If not, people may think that we don't care, we're passive, or we're playing favorites. It's always best to reveal the problem, that we are aware of the problem, that we are aware of the elephant in the room as quickly as possible, and then address it by investigating it further and discuss with all the parties involved. David, having the role as not only the leader, i.e. the king, but also a leader as a father to Amnon, to Absalom, and to Tamar, he should have took an active role in investigating this problem further, identifying and investigating. But he didn't. Instead, he ignored the elephant in the room. What happened? Let's go on. Verse 23 in chapter 13. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Baal Hazor near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. He went to the king and said, My sheep shears are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? The king replied, No, my son. If we all came, we would be too much of a burden on you. Absalom pressed him, but the king would not come, though he gave Absalom his blessing. Absalom ordered his men, Listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted the mules, and fled. <laughs> fled. It's a common theme amongst this family. Dad did squat. So Absalom took initiative. He wanted to talk to dad about this incident with Amnon and Tamar. He was fuming. He wanted justice done to Amnon, and he wanted dad to facilitate and deliver this justice on Amnon. And what better way to discuss this than a dinner party, right? In high spirits. When things are positive, it's a lot easier to talk about a crisis or a problem, right? However, no matter how many times Absalom urged David to come, David shirked. Instead of accepting the invitation, knowing that he will likely be talking about Amnon's rape on Tamar with Absalom at the dinner table, i.e. the elephant in the room, David avoided it by making a lame excuse. David shirked from his role as king and father. As a king, he shirked from delivering justice. As a father, he shirked from mediating, disciplining, and facilitating peace and reconciliation among his three children. Are there difficult conversations for you and I that we need to make today with those we may have a rift with, but we're avoiding them at all costs because we're afraid of what may become of these conversations, what may result from these conversations? One of our God-given roles is to be agents of peace. Are we shirking from making peace and reconciliation with those we have rifts with? It could be friends, family, colleagues, in-laws. For David, because he shirked, Absalom took justice into his own hands. He convinced his brothers to murder Amnon. And so, 
instead of resolving the crisis and trying to build reconciliation, the crisis build because David shirked from his responsibilities. Verse 37, And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather Talmai, son of Amahimot, the king of Gesher. He stayed there in Gesher for three years, and King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. So, just like being very angry and doing nothing, David is now mourning and doing nothing. Instead of reaching out to Absalom, David did nothing. And Absalom, thinking that David might just dish out a whoop-ass on him, he ran away and stayed with his grandfather for three years. David longed for Absalom to come back, but didn't do anything to bring him back. Why? Why is David shirking from his responsibilities as a father and king? The author of this story doesn't provide a reason. But some commentators, like Eugene Peterson and Phil Long, speculated that because David was guilty of a sin similar to Amnon and Absalom combined, i.e. rape and murder, remember in chapter 11, David felt inadequate and ashamed for placing judgment and discipline on Absalom. Could this be the reason why some of us may shirk from our God-given responsibilities of peacemaking and speaking on behalf of justice and godliness? That the reason why we shirk is because we feel guilty of our own sin? That we feel like hypocrites if we ever identify a sin of someone else? That we're inadequate or ashamed of ourselves? That we can't fulfill our God-given roles? Let's move on. Verse 28 of chapter 14. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but again Joab refused to come. Then at last, through Joab, David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king just kissed him. David's nephew, who happens to also be one of his army generals, Joab, decided to act on behalf of David. Joab used a charismatic charlatan, Tekoa, to speak to David in order to convince him to bring Absalom back. Now, I didn't read that passage, but you go ahead and read that yourself when you have time. It's in chapter 14. Through this Tekoa and through Joab giving the words for Tekoa to speak, David was convinced, and Joab, not David, brought Absalom back to David. But David, though he missed Absalom a lot, deep down, he did not want to see him face to face. Again, David is shirking away from having to have the difficult conversation with Absalom about Amnon's rape of Tamar and, of course, Absalom's murder of Amnon. Whether David felt inadequate of having the conversation because of his own past sins with Bathsheba, whatever the reason, David brought Absalom back because of Joab, but isolated Absalom for another two years until finally they met. David didn't want to see him until Joab insisted that David should see him. So after two years, they finally met. But did they talk? 
Did the author say that they finally talked, they prayed, and they reconciled, and they discussed things? Nope. David just kissed his son and said goodbye. It's like the proverbial talk to the hand. Wait, what? You must be wondering, I was wondering as well, is this the same David who braved the wilderness, fought against the Philistines countless of times, went toe-to-toe with Saul, and went toe-to-toe with a giant called Goliath? Because you and I would think, if this is the same David who wouldn't shirk from his responsibilities in the past, why would he shirk from the responsibilities now involving his family? Let's move on. In, verse, in chapter 15, verse 4, Absalom says this to the people of Israel, I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them, just like what his dad did to him. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once or it'll be too late. David urged his men, hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We are with you, his advisors have replied. Do what you think is best. So the king and all his household set out at once. He left no one behind except 10 of his concubines to look after the palace. What? Betrayed, isolated, rejected by your own father. No family, no allies. This was Absalom. Absalom tried to talk to his dad, but his dad kept shutting him out. Now, Absalom believed that everyone who is allied with his father, including David, were against him. And so, what do you do? Well, he started forming his own army and allies. So so many of them that David and his allies fled. Again, David running away from the problem instead of confronting it. And instead of holding down the fort, David fled and left 10 concubines to take care of the place. (laughs) What? (laughs) Leaving 10 unarmed women against an army of thousands of soldiers. That ain't right, right? What is wrong with David? Let's move on to chapter 18, verse 5. And the king, and the king gave this command to Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. For my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. And all the troops heard the king give this order to his commanders. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim, and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day and 20,000 men laid down their lives. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. Quite comedic, actually. One of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What? Joab demanded, you saw him there and didn't kill him? I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied to Joab. Remember what David told them? Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled, still alive in the great tree. Ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him, basically hacked him into pieces. 
chapter 18, verse 33. The king, David, was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Because of David shirking his responsibilities as king and father, he left with 20,000 dead loyal men, two dead sons, and a desolate, isolated daughter who had, their, had her identity stolen. Because David shirked right from the beginning, the crisis grew out of control. A civil war happened. A family crisis turned into a divided Israel. And David's family's dysfunction kept going and going and going, even beyond his death, apparently. And now, David himself is grieving for not only losing two sons and a daughter, but also regretting his inaction. Let's move on to conclude. Chapter 19, verse 4. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on crying. Now, he kept on crying for days, apparently. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, Dude, we saved your life today and the lives of your sons and your daughters and your wives and concubines. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. Now go out there and congratulate your troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than ever before. Time to move on and fulfill at least your God-given role as king. Joab basically slapped David in the face, metaphorically. Because David shirked, we had this crisis. Joab is telling David, don't shirk on your kingly duties or else bigger problems will come our way. So David snapped out of this inaction and took his role as king once again. Okay, what can we learn from this? We know we should not shirk from our God-given responsibilities. So what are they? Well, our godly responsibility is to follow Jesus' pattern of life, like peacemaking, facilitating godly justice, live faithfully and righteously, identify sin, provide forgiveness, facilitate reconciliation and healing, and proclaim the gospel. Yet why do we shirk from these? Could it be true for us, like some commentators speculate about David, that we may feel inadequate because we ourselves have dark areas in our lives? That we also have sins or elephants in our hearts and may be afraid that when we do reveal other people's sins or when we do act godliness or justice, that these people that we speak to may reveal our elephants and we need to talk about those as well? How do we do that? We don't want to put ourselves in that situation, right? We don't want to talk about our elephants in our hearts. Like, no one wants to be put in those situations. Well, I want, to go as, I want us to go back to chapter 14. Interestingly, Tekoa, remember, the charlatan, said something to David that stuck out for me. And unfortunately, because of time and space, I didn't put that passage in here. But I'll do it now and just put that one quote from her in this presentation. So it starts in chapter 14, verse 14. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. 
But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. God devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. It is impossible to live out and fulfill our God-given responsibility of following Jesus without God empowering and enabling us. Like David, we screw up more often than we like, from small sins to big ones and the elephant ones. When we see sin, we know we need to address it and intervene. But like David, we may be ashamed and crippled by our own sin and feel inadequate to fulfill our God-given roles. We feel defeated by our own sin and say to ourselves, how can God possibly use me when I have so many elephants in my heart? But it's not about our ability or adequacy. When we sin, well, we sin. That's life. Yes, we feel ashamed and we don't feel adequate or able to fulfill our God-given roles. We don't even want to come into God's presence because we feel ashamed and we don't want our elephants revealed. So why put ourselves in that situation? Yet God says this, what's done is done. Like water is spilled on the ground. You can't get it back. But God will always find a way to bring us back to him, redeem us so that we can continue to fulfill our God-given rules of following Jesus. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us so that we can always be forgiven, start afresh, and follow him. We are adequate because God made us adequate through Jesus. We are not ashamed because God, through Jesus, took away our shame. He took away our elephants. And therefore, we don't have to shirk away from our God-given roles. We can confidently talk about the elephants in our hearts because God removed them. And God enables us to fulfill our God-given roles because he has already brought us back in through Jesus. Amen.